This is the Motherlands Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to provide evidence-based information related to fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum, as well as share positive birth stories. I am your host, Keely Semler. There is a well-known quote, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. It highlights the truth that we all get to co-create our existence. And sometimes life hits us with something unexpected. Lena Bardovi reveals the path that initially led her to Chinese medicine was both heart-opening and heartbreaking. Lena found her calling to Chinese medicine in her 20s when she discovered that her boyfriend had brain cancer, and the one treatment that seemed to make him feel better was acupuncture. In this episode, we discuss how all humans are a delicate balance of yin and yang energy, the importance of the five elements within the body, as well as the five pathogens according to traditional Chinese medicine. Lena discloses that she is currently pregnant and shares how she is prepared for pregnancy. We discuss everything from nutrition to morning sickness to postpartum healing. The easiest way to support the Motherlands podcast is to leave a rating and a review. It means a lot to me, and it inspires me to keep going. Thank you again for listening. We are here today in Santa Monica with Lena Bardovi in her beautiful studio, Resonant Healing in Santa Monica. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. (laughs) I'm so curious how you came into this work in Chinese medicine and acupuncture. What initially drew you into this practice? Yeah, so for me, it was a complete like left field career pivot. I was not in the health world whatsoever. What were you Um, doing before? I was working at a tech startup in operations. (laughs) Yeah, so very different. And I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do forever, but I didn't know what was. I hadn't found my thing yet. So I was doing that and, you know, it got to a point one day where I was like, I know this isn't my thing. I'm ready to find out what is and it's not just gonna come to me. So my boyfriend at the time was also going through similar feelings of like not being super happy with his career. And so we decided to basically quit everything. We had saved up some money. We got rid of our apartment and we bought a van and we did the whole like van life thing. (laughs) My gosh, if my partner was listening right now, he's gonna be so (laughs) impressed with you. That's his dream. Yeah, it was our dream too. It was really amazing. How brave of you too, to just quit and go, all right, let's reset. You know, we were in our mid twenties and we were like, if not now, then when? So yeah, so we did it. It felt like jumping off a cliff and we had planned to do an eight month long trip around the whole country. We mapped out a route and we got about three months into our trip and I woke up in the middle of, we were in like a national forest in Mississippi and I woke up to my boyfriend having a seizure. Hmm. So long story short, you know, we rushed to the closest hospital and found out over the coming like week or so that he had a tumor in his brain and so we flew back home to LA to meet with doctors and assemble a team and everything and he was scheduled for brain surgery pretty much within the next week and turns out that it was brain cancer so went through 
chemo, radiation, all the treatment. And as part of his treatment, alongside all of the Western treatments, his mom actually had suggested acupuncture. In one of his seizures, he had fractured three vertebrae in his spine, and mm. there was nothing that his Western doctors could do. They said, you just really need a rest, and it should heal on its own. But he was in quite a lot of pain. So his mom was like, let's try acupuncture. He had gone, and he came home, and I just remember him being so excited about his experience, and he had felt relief within one treatment. There was something there. And so I became really fascinated by it. Growing up, my mom had taken me to a Chinese herbalist, so I had experience with Chinese medicine, but I had never had acupuncture before. And so I I just I became like kind of obsessed. <laughs> like I was going down all the rabbit holes, doing all the research. Well, learning. I can't imagine having a partner going through something so traumatic and to see them come back from one session of, of an acupuncturist and, and feel some relief. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. It ended up being like his favorite part of the week. You know, fast forward, he ended up getting treatments twice a week for the rest of his life. He ended up passing away, but it became his favorite part of the week. And, you know, he's going to so many doctors and he had wonderful care, both Western and Eastern, but you could really feel the difference of how he felt seen during like one of his acupuncture sessions. So that's kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but that's kind of how I got interested in it. And I had listened to a podcast, I don't remember which one, but they were talking about how like, if you don't know what you want to do in life, like follow the path of what you find yourself Googling at night. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And I, I had heard that kind of around that time. And I was like, that makes sense to me. That's like, you know, that's how you know something's a passion of yours if you are spending your personal time looking into it. And so that kind of gave me a little bit of permission to like actually consider doing it as a career. And I had, you know, since like experienced some acupuncture sessions to see what it was all about myself. I basically enrolled in a program right then and there. Like, I think I started my first quarter of school two months after Atticus had his brain surgery so it was a four years master's degree program it's a really intense program a lot more intense than I was anticipating but it makes sense because there's so much to this medicine I was in school during the last two years of his life and it was an amazing like grounding force in a time that my life was just a complete mess and it was a really supportive community you know people who are drawn to becoming acupuncturists are very empathetic caring wonderful humans so i i got to be part of a lovely community that really carried me through a hard time and also just learning about the body from both a western and an eastern perspective really helped me kind of understand i guess what was going on with him in a different way and support him in a different way and he went through surgery and then did that help at all or yeah so he had surgery and they removed three small-ish masses um he had glioblastoma which is a pretty aggressive form of brain cancer and he then went through chemo and a round of radiation Mm. and things were looking okay 
And then, you know, over the course of a couple months, we started to notice some small things like in his speech and he started to have seizures again. And so we kind of, you know, had a feeling that something was going on still and he was getting routine MRIs. And so at the next MRI that he had gotten, so he had surgery in June and by January, the MRI had revealed that it had come back. I can't imagine how chaotic and emotionally taxing that must have been yeah it it was a roller coaster and the uncertainty was really hard and also I mean no cancer is good but brain cancer it's devastating I mean depending on what part of your brain it's in affects how you move through the world and how you experience the world and so for him it was in the language part of his brain so his speech was the first thing to go and words started becoming harder and so then you know as caregivers and support and a girlfriend you know family members we had to start kind of deciphering what he was trying to communicate and Mm. and as it spread more and more you know the whole right side of his body started to become a little bit weaker and so walking was harder you know it's just like this evolution where every day is a new thing and it was you know it's hard to see a loved one go through that and yeah. and not not quite knowing exactly what you can do to support it other than just be there that's the biggest lesson that i learned or one of there's many big lessons i learned but one of the lessons was just being present and showing love and care yeah that's yeah. huge I don't know. We all walk around here as if we're going to be here forever, Mm -hmm. as if nothing can go wrong or sideways. And being around someone in close proximity of someone where they really are straddling life and death, it really kind of makes you cherish and appreciate any and all time we have with each other. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it made you restructure how you spend your time Mm -hmm. and and what you're even interested in investing in. Yeah. I mean, it fundamentally changed who I am as a person, for sure. Yeah, how can it not? Yeah. 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 Well, that's amazing that that's how you became interested and came out of love and caring for for someone. It's It's really special. It's really special, and I, I feel like it was his gift to me. And every single day when I come into the studio, I do a little meditation, and he's part of that meditation. And... So he's very much still a part of me and my practice. And it's this connection that I still have with him, which feels very special. That is super sweet. I'm sure he is alive in your practice. And that's really, really special. Thank you for sharing that. Can you briefly describe some of the main principles of Chinese medicine? And I know that's a loaded question because (laughs) there are so many layers. But just sort of the basics, I know there are different elements and yeah. maybe you can yeah. explain that. Yeah, totally. Um, yes, it's a very complex medicine, but I also like to say it's it's kind of an intuitive medicine because it's very much based in nature. And so we all operate in this world um, and we all know that fire is hot and flares upwards. So there's aspects to it that are kind of intuitive, but... Yes, you're correct. There are elements that we use, but I would say like if we're talking about the foundations of Chinese medicine, yin and yang is like 
probably the first place to start. And then we also have what you were kind of alluding to is five element theory. Well, um, first, can you explain yin and yang? Because yeah. I know everyone knows those words, but yeah. maybe they don't really understand the deeper meaning of yeah. that. So yin is the more restorative, feminine, dark, nighttime qualities of the body. The character in Chinese for yin is the shady side of the mountain whereas yang is the sunny side of the mountain. So that's more heat, sunlight, daytime, masculine, energy. So it's kind of like the dichotomy between two things and they're always shifting and they're interconnected. So if you know of the classic Taiji symbol, the yin and yang symbol, there's yin within yang and there's yang within yin and one is transforming into the other. They mutually need each other. So we are all cycling through yin and yang we all have yin and yang that's why we are alive when we die yin and yang separate and yin goes kind of into the earth that's the more like earthly aspect whereas yang is more like ethereal light and that kind of goes upwards and so they're always doing this dance together and ideally they're always in balance so some health stuff that can arise can sometimes be due to either like a yin deficiency or a yang deficiency where one of them has become imbalanced in relation to the other. Do you see within your own practice, specifically with women, females, that there can be more of a deficiency in one over another? I'm just thinking like the modern woman is so busy. She's just go, 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 do, do, do. Yeah. You know, do you see yeah. that? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So the classic, classical like way you can think of what a yin-deficient person looks like is somebody going through menopause. That's textbook mm-hmm. yin-deficiency. So we have a lack of that like cooling, restorative energy of the body, the yin. We have relative heat. So like hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, anxiety, irritability. Those are all yin-deficiency signs. Generally speaking... I see yin deficiency in women and I see yang deficiency in women. So yang deficiency might look more like hypothyroid symptoms where things are sluggish, right? We have a lack of the like warming, energizing forces of the body, like the metabolism is kind of subdued. So that's classically, you can think of a hypothyroid presentation where, you know, fatigue, low energy, running cold, holding on to excess water. I see both the like modern woman who's doing so much is definitely depleting her yin so you can think of like a yin yoga class right like that's a very restorative yoga class and when we're kind of in that hyper yang state all the time where we're doing 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 and and always on the go we can kind of burn through our our yin Mm, that's so interesting so how does that fit in with the elements yeah so then we have five element theory which is kind of separate but also includes yin and yang um, theory so the five element theory we have five elements and we have these five zong organs that we call which are kind of like main organs and then they have their yin yang pair so the five organs that are the yin organs of the body are the heart the spleen the lungs the kidney and the liver and then they have their yang pairing so each one of those has a pair the heart is paired with the small intestine the spleen is paired with the stomach kidneys bladder livers gallbladder lung and large intestine and so each one of those five pairings resonates with an element found in nature so 
we have um, the heart and the small intestine resonate with the fire element, the spleen and stomach, which you can kind of think of as like your digestive system, are the earth element, kidneys and bladder are the water element, lung, large intestine are the metal element, and then liver and gallbladder are the wood element. So it's kind of a lot <laughs> to remember, but, but beautiful. Yeah, like the pairings and like it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of start to understand how each organ system operates within the body by looking at its element, and you can start to understand how each organ system relates to another organ system by its element pairing. So. I think this is the easiest example to understand, just to put it into practice so that people can like understand, okay, how does this have to do with my health, is looking at the wood-earth interaction. So that would be the liver and the spleen. And so basically, IBS is a really good example of what a wood-earth imbalance might look like. Stress or any kind of like traumatic emotional event can take a toll on the liver. The liver is responsible for the free flow of energy in the body. It sets the tone of the chi flow. And so if the liver becomes stuck or stagnant, which it's very prone to, you can kind of think of like a traffic jam on the freeway. We call that liver chi stagnation. And you can think about the energy of stress, right? It kind of just stagnates everything. You Mm -hmm. have tense shoulders, you get a little like irritable and frustrated. It's a very stuck, stagnant energy. And so when that happens, according to five element theory, there's a diagram that helps to make this make more sense if you're looking at it visually, but basically the the relationship between wood and earth is one that's a controlling relationship. And so when the liver element becomes out of balance, it becomes too stuck and stagnant, it can overact on the digestive system and cause a digestive episode. So that's kind of like where you can think of IBS, right? Like usually people who have some form of IBS, it can be exacerbated by an emotional thing or a stressful event. And so bringing that back to the more five element theory of things, if you think about a pot with a plant in it, so the plant would be the wood element, which is liver, and the pot would be the earth element, which would be spleen or digestive system. When that plant becomes root bound or it becomes too big for that pot stuck stagnant energy it can eventually like crack the pot Mm. so that's how we would look at like a wood overacting on earth imbalance or a liver overacting on spleen imbalance Um, such a good visualization too that's really interesting yeah what are channels or meridians yeah so channels meridians we kind of use the terms interchangeably. Originally in the classical texts, they were called rivers. Mm. And so you can kind of think of them as rivers. I like to think of them as rivers still. But basically we have blood vessels, we have nerves. You can kind of think as channels as like an energetic component. Usually they run alongside major blood vessels or nerves and they carry what we call chi, which loosely translates to energy. It's not the best translation, but for simplicity's sake you can think about it as energy you can also think about it as like your vital life force the innate intelligence in your body but these meridians rivers channels carry this energy and each one goes home to an organ so you have the liver channel you have the spleen channel you have the heart channel kidney channel so on and so forth 
and you can use points along these channels kind of like exit or entry points to manipulate the flow of chi in the channel itself so taking the example of IBS example that we just talked about. In that case, we would want to help move that liver chi. And so we would choose points along the liver channel that are very moving or circulating. Whereas the spleen, the digestive system, is in more of a state of deficiency. So we'd want to choose points along the spleen channel that help to tonify or nourish. Mm. And when you say you you choose a point, is that where you're putting the needle in to let... Mm-hmm. to open it up or how does that work to basically just stimulate that point there are different techniques that you can do there's uh, so many different ways of practicing really what it boils down to is we're stimulating a point and kind of nudging the body to say okay hey we're moving energy here or we're we're nourishing some energy here mm-hmm. so when you see a female patient what are some interesting meridians or channels that you're looking for to help her become more balanced in her cycle Mm -hmm. let's say yeah so the beautiful thing about chinese medicine is that everybody is so different right and so we can get really individualized with what is going on for that specific person their specific imbalance so it's hard to make generalizations but there are channels that are more off like more commonly related to say hormonal imbalances the liver is a big one the liver really governs a lot of like specifically the pms time of the month so again going back to that like stuck or stagnant energy the liver is so prone to cramping irritability breast tenderness those are all like liver chi stagnation signs so if you experience those kinds of PMS symptoms, most likely we're going to be regulating the liver channel. For somebody who is experiencing like very light periods or late periods, we might look more towards what we call blood deficiency. And so in that case, we might choose points that are along the spleen channel, also the liver channel, maybe the heart channel, because those are the three organs that are involved in blood. Mm. So. It kind of gives you a little bit of a yeah. sense of how it, it can be so different based on what the person is experiencing in their individual constitution. But yeah. Sure, because like this is kind of an oversimplistic, you know, way of looking at it, I'm sure. But if someone has cycle imbalance, it could be another organ system that is also playing into that imbalance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that is entirely unique to that individual patient you know exactly yeah Yeah. like for people who experience night sweats around their period we'd look to the kidneys usually for that you can treat almost any or almost any organ system can be involved in a hormonal imbalance it's just what is that person experiencing Mm. yeah what about fertility what about a patient that is coming to you interested in potentially trying to conceive are there any ways that you you know would provide support to them yeah yeah so again we would we would start with what's going on with their constitution who like what are they coming in with maybe it's not even fertility related but maybe they've had a history of digestive issues we would want to take that into consideration but if we're just talking generally like somebody comes into my studio and they're relatively healthy and they just want support with trying to conceive we look to the kidney channel for that a lot 
why the kidney? I know. It doesn't make sense, like, from a Western mind. Like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that's also the thing that is helpful to keep in mind is the there are a lot of overlaps from, like, our Western viewpoint of, like, what the kidneys do. But there are a lot of differences too. And Chinese medicine takes emotions into consideration. It takes the more spiritual aspect of things into consideration. It takes the energetics of things into consideration. So, you know, we think about kidneys from a Western standpoint and we're like, what does that have to do with fertility? From a more Chinese medicine standpoint, they carry what we call our Jing. And Jing is a really hard concept to explain, but it, it translates loosely into our essence. A lot of people call it like our DNA or like our blueprint in life. We inherit it from our parents. So it's kind of like our hereditary bloodline, I guess, if you will. But it's also kind of like a battery pack of the body. So a lot of our like energy is stored there. We can deplete our Jing by, you know, like that image of the modern woman that you kind of described of like working working doing like intense hit workouts drinking coffee on an empty stomach just the like fight or flight state that can impact our jing um which has a big tie to our fertility it's kind of like you know you can think of egg quality almost or sperm quality so so we look to the kidneys to really help like nurture that jing and also yin and yang there's this concept of fire that is held between the kidneys it's like our pilot light almost and so we we choose kidney points to help nurture that fire as well as the jing so that's kind of getting into the weeds a little bit Mm. and i apologize if that wasn't the clearest explanation of like what the kidneys encompass but they really are like the root of the body in chinese medicine Mm. so there's there's a big importance much more than western medicine would attribute to the kidneys infertility for in chinese medicine for the kidneys Mm. yeah that's very interesting what about nutrition do you chat with your clients at all about nutrition as it relates to female health yeah nutrition is one of my passions i love talking nutrition and i love watching your videos because you eating liver just inspires (laughs) me to eat more liver i know (laughs) or what else did you do recently i don't know i love your videos about it's like oh yeah she's right just just eat the liver (laughs) i know it's a little intense but honestly it's it's a magical food (laughs) yeah so nutrition is a big component of chinese medicine we actually look at the energetics of food too in chinese medicine so we look at its properties is it warming is it cooling does it clear heat does it tonify does it move so there are, are a lot of energetic properties to food that we learn about from a chinese medicine perspective that can be really medicinal from a more like women's health or fertility standpoint I really like to focus on like nutrient-dense foods. From a Chinese medicine perspective, we would say these are blood and chi nourishing foods. When we are hoping to conceive or already pregnant or especially postpartum, it's really important to focus on our nutrient reserves and build up the chi and blood that we have in our body because pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, the whole postpartum time 
is a really blood and chi depleting state for a woman to be in. And so nutrition is paramount. It's really important. You know, you can get all the acupuncture treatments in the world, but you can't make something out of nothing. You mm. need to be consuming food. I work a lot with with food. Almost all of my patients, I am making food recommendations. Mm. Yeah, That's really, really interesting and amazing that you are able to kind of look at it very holistically because you're right, you're working with a body, but that body is coming in here for an hour and mm-hmm. there's so many other things they can do to improve the state of their body when, when they're on your table. That's yeah. really interesting. How would someone implement better nutrition or blood building, as you said, or build their blood and chi? Yeah. How does someone do that when they're sick, mm-hmm. when they have morning sickness? How, how does someone implement this? Yeah, it's a good question. I am actually in my second trimester myself, and I just experienced this firsthand. The first trimester can be rough. Yes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, it was something that was really hard for me to grapple with because I know so much about nutrition. And, you know, I had this idea going into trying to conceive of like, oh, I'm going to have the healthiest pregnancy. I'm going to do all the things. And then the nausea hits and the food aversions hit and you can't eat anything. Just Um, eating saltines. (laughs) I honestly was living, what was I? So I'm trying not to do gluten because it doesn't like agree agree with me. So that cut out all like the comforty kinds of foods, which was unfortunate. But honestly, it's such a blur even looking back on. But I was living off, like Greek yogurt was my saving grace. For some reason that was that did not make me feel sick so i did a lot of greek yogurt i don't honestly know what i was eating <laughs> like it was it probably was not a lot of anything not a lot of anything <laughs> and it was really hard because then it's this vicious cycle where like you feel bad like you don't have energy i mean because you're pregnant but also because you're not eating well and mm-hmm. you know and then i i was just feeling guilty about not getting all the nutrients in then I, like eggs grossed me out and to me eggs are like a superfood so i didn't eat eggs for like 16 weeks and that was really sad my lesson that i learned was don't worry about it don't worry about it in the first trimester like do the best you can you'll make up for it in the second and third you hopefully went into pregnancy with good nutrient reserves well in your case you did because i saw you eating that liver (laughs) i was eating liver up until the moment i found out i was pregnant (laughs) um yeah and that honestly like i kept holding on to that i was like i did a good job yeah so and um, you do the best you can and you do the best you can and your baby's gonna be fine also it's kind of your initiation into this whole universe of not really being in control yeah and that can be really hard yeah that is a good point i learned that a lot going through what i went through with my um, partner who passed away was just giving up control and that actually really helped during my first trimester because I just had to surrender and I had experience doing that. It wasn't easy, but I had flexed that muscle before and so I was gentle on myself. And it helps to have, you know, like my midwife told me the same thing of like, don't stress out about it. Like you went in with good reserves, you know. My husband too, you know, he was like, 
don't worry about it you'll be fine mm-hmm. so you know people just reminding you along the way was very for me was very helpful but yeah That's for, so for anybody weird. who needs to hear it don't stress out yeah just get through it <laughs> just get through it <laughs> it'll get better did you find any remedies that kind of would help taper morning sickness at all or not really you know i was coming in for acupuncture and that was i'm not gonna lie like not super helpful mm-hmm. um i've had a experience treating people where it did help and others you're just past the point mm-hmm. for me i was past the point but what did help was really like not having full meals kind of just snacking throughout the day and finding things that were high enough in fat and or protein protein was really hard for me because all animal food was disgusting Mm -hmm. but like the greek yogurt was really helpful because it helped to like stabilize my blood sugar just enough to like get me to the next snack (laughs) what i realized was really helpful was not trying to eat three meals a day it was just constantly grazed throughout the whole day small portions don't let your stomach get too empty or too full eating something right before bed Mm. and then i would wake up at like 3 a.m and go take like four or five bites of cottage cheese or greek yogurt or if there was like a piece of cheese in the middle of the night to kind of get me through to the morning i had to eat like right upon waking that helped for me brushing my teeth was really hard because it kind of like stimulated that gag reflex so I ate something first before brushing my teeth and that helped but honestly it was a struggle it was a struggle the whole way through and there were like little things here and there like the snacking all day long but that's a good practice if you snack all day long and you don't let yourself get super hungry Mm -hmm. or super full then that keeps your hormones pretty yeah balanced yeah because if someone's you know starving then that's you know a plummet of blood sugar and exactly that, that can be really tough it's funny when you talk about nutrition a lot of my clients that i see western doctors don't even utter a word yeah yeah about nutrition and to me it's such a missed opportunity because you're building a human being you know and it just seems like talk about like wanting a sense of control or a sense of autonomy like what you eat really does have an impact not just on you but on the living creature inside of you you know totally and i know midwives are different i'm sure your midwife talks to you about nutrition too but i find that a lot of my clients they don't realize how much fat and Mm -hmm. how much protein like you can't really overdo it in either of those but you can definitely overdo it with the sugar and Mm -hmm. the carbs and you know which is those are the comfort things yeah those tend to taste better yeah which is why the first trimester is such a conundrum to me because it seems so antithetical to yeah (laughs) like what the body wants to be doing right but yeah yeah the proteins and the fats they're the most important for a baby but also for making the mom feel good too Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. and there's so much stigma around consuming fat Mm -hmm. i find that that can be sort of an uphill battle with some of my clients because they hear the word fat and they think, oh, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to make me fat. I'm like, no, 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 no. Opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite. And 
you can't really overdo it on the fat because from my perspective as an educator, it, fat is what grows the baby's brain. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. brain chemistry, neurology, you know? Yeah. Yeah, what I find sometimes helps, because I run into the same thing too with my patients, just putting the word healthy on it, healthy fats. Mm can kind of change the narrative or whatever idea they have of fat in their brain you know like getting a good amount of healthy fats and that sometimes can be like oh okay yeah an avocado i could do that or salmon i could do that egg yolks mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah that totally makes sense i think i use the word good <laughs> good fats. yeah good yeah fats. yeah, good fats. yeah. <laughs> can you talk about the importance of heat within the body as it relates to, to female health. Yeah. Okay. So especially around our period. And then also if we're trying to conceive warmth is a very important component, you know, around your cycle, it's kind of intuitive, right? Like you have cramps, you want to put a heating pad on the way that we think about warmth in the body as it relates to women's health is really kind of looking at the uterus the chinese name for uterus translates to baby palace oh my gosh i love that (laughs) i think is so cool so you kind of start to think about your uterus as a baby palace whether you want to have babies or not but keeping that environment like warm and cozy is the best way to increase fertility and also decrease any like painful symptoms that you might experience around your period and so what we like to recommend in chinese medicine is always wearing socks on your feet when you're walking around like at home if you have cold tile floors you want to keep the bottom of your feet warm because that's where the kidney meridian begins is the sole of your foot and so it has a direct line up to your kidneys which as we now know are important for fertility Mm. as well as your low back so keeping that area warm as well and then drinking like warming beverages and eating warming foods are also really supportive for digestion as well but also for hormone support so we tend to like to avoid smoothies and salads and raw cold foods if you're experiencing any kind of digestive issues no smoothies no salads and opt for more like warming cooked foods so broths soups stews teas things like that are much easier on the digestive system and help to nurture that warmth within the body that's kind of how we look at at warmth is really just creating that warm cozy environment which you know from a more western perspective i guess you could say increasing circulation and blood flow to the uterus but yeah that's the importance of warmth that makes a lot of sense to me because and i'm sure we'll get into postpartum in a second but you know a lot of times us westerners think that if we drink a cold beverage it cools us down right but it actually does the opposite sometimes it actually keeps our internal body temperature elevated but not necessarily retaining the heat mm-hmm. and i talk to clients about postpartum and telling them to avoid cold foods as much as they can in postpartum just because as you said with chinese medicine it depletes the chi and in order to keep the heat in the body and to keep some of the energy and with within not consuming cold things but is that true in chinese medicine and in postpartum yes as well? it's paramount in postpartum because 
you become like a portal between worlds when you give birth and not only do you become a portal but you also lose a lot of blood and chi in that process and so you're in a very open state a very open and vulnerable state when you've just given birth and that is an opportunity for cold it sounds weird but we say cold and wind to invade mm. um, and enter the body because there isn't a lot of blood in the vessels and there isn't a lot of chi in the body so when you when you're in a more like empty or deficient state like a postpartum woman is you're more vulnerable to cold entering the body and so if you're also then consuming cold things you're kind of just like pushing more into that deficiency and you're not doing yourself any favors in terms of building back up the reserves of the body with warm circulating nourishing foods what is the significance of wind in chinese yeah. medicine so wind is a wind is an interesting one so okay so just as we have five um elements we have five pathogens and those are wind cold heat dryness dampness the best way to think about wind okay we all know like what wind is right you can't see it but you can see the manifestations of it you can see the leaves on a tree move and know okay it's windy outside in the body what that looks like is like tremors seizures twitches what else strokes Mm. things like that things that move quickly and come and go and the kind of the qualities of wind and so when the blood vessels are empty or deficient there's space in them for wind to invade so can you think of any example with a postpartum person wind entering their body is that like they're up doing too much around the house and they're it's more of like an environmental thing so it would be like you're just an open kind of vessel when you've given birth and if it's windy outside okay this is kind of a way you can think about wind when you catch a cold that's a wind invasion mm-hmm. you can either have wind heat or wind cold so either like a fever or you know a, a head cold that's why in chinese medicine we're always saying like cover your neck with a scarf because wind can invade in the back of your neck and you can catch a cold mm-hmm. so it's like a you know kind of like a little old yeah um, that totally makes yeah. sense so when you are postpartum you are more susceptible to wind invasion so your your immune systems you know depleted you are more susceptible to getting sick for sure yeah because you're not sleeping (laughs) you're not sleeping yeah you're just depleted yeah so that's a state where wind can invade very easily oh that's Um, so interesting yeah what about babies how does chinese medicine fit in with infants do do you do any work on babies typically we don't do i mean you absolutely can i remember my cousin had she has a five-year-old now but when she was about three i was treating her her mom my cousin and she was so interested in it and she wanted a needle and so i'm like okay we can do a little needle (laughs) and i needled her um stomach 36 which is like a really just gentle point and she loved it um so you can but typically we don't because kids move kids (laughs) kids move (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they can sit still for very long but usually we say kids have a lot of good young chi which is like they're resilient they're healthy if they are sick they usually get over it pretty quickly they have good upright chi is kind of what we say if they are experiencing something 
their bodies are so resilient that usually we don't want to interfere too much there absolutely is pediatric acupuncture i don't know if pediatric acupunctures work on infants Mm. there are are more gentle techniques like a japanese technique called shonishin which is using like a silver or gold instrument to gently kind of stimulate the meridian so there's no needles involved but it's more like i guess kind of like acupressure like where you're just kind of on the skin on the surface of the skin utilizing the meridian systems so it's a much more gentle approach because they don't really need a whole lot right yeah i love that they come into this world and they're healthy and strong yeah and resilient and yeah yeah, that makes sense what about postpartum anxiety and depression Mm, yeah that's a really good topic the way that we would look at it from a chinese medicine perspective and again everybody is different but if we're making generalizations, so like we said, during the postpartum time, you're in a really deficient state. Um, you've lost a lot of blood. You've lost a lot of chi. Mm-hmm. It's all about like nourishing the mother back up. And so postpartum depression and anxiety usually can happen from what we call blood deficiency. Anxiety can have a lot of roots to it one of those roots can be blood deficiency. So that's kind of another example of how Chinese medicine, we look at the individual, right? Like, you oh my gosh, might... how amazing. What a concept <laughs> that anxiety can come from different places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Right. Yeah. So in some someone's case, their anxiety might be due to blood deficiency. And that you can think of it as like, well, I'll say like another reason can be like too much heat, right? In the body or... Another reason we can say there's like a shen disturbance, which might have been more of like a trauma-based thing. In the postpartum case, usually blood deficiency because we've we've already we've gone through this event, we've lost a lot of blood. When we don't have enough blood to nourish the heart, we can experience things like anxiety or insomnia. Usually those are the two main things when we look at what heart blood deficiency looks like. But from a Chinese medicine perspective, we have this concept of shen. Again, loosely translates to spirit, and that resides in our heart. It's different than our soul, but it's an aspect of our spirit that lives in our heart. And the heart is the governor of blood, and so when we don't have enough blood in the heart, the shen can float upwards. It's not anchored by the blood. Mm it floats upwards more towards the mind. So that's when you start to get things like ruminating thoughts, a busy mind, trouble sleeping, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, all of those types of things that can come with anxiety. Well, I think that's even true for anyone going through labor. Mm. Because when someone is anxious or a little nervous of the unknown, they immediately go into their head yeah yeah so that's really interesting yeah yeah and it feels like it's safer in the head Mm -hmm. when really we need the mom to be in her body so she needs to be in an environment that makes her feel safe and confident yeah sometimes that's really hard to allow your body to get more grounded in the body and less in the mind yeah Yes, it's a practice for sure. 
And if you're already blood deficient, then it's an even bigger hurdle, perhaps. Mm. Depression is similar, although we would throw the kidneys into the mix a little bit as well. Again, jing, qi, yin, yang, kind of, (laughs) you lose a lot in pregnancy and birth. (laughs) Yes. Um, And maybe even grief. Yeah, grief. Because... I don't know, postpartum, we always talk about anxiety and depression, and sometimes that really is the case. But I think what I witness over and over again is just periods of grief. Grief when someone is trying to get pregnant, grief when someone is pregnant, Mm -hmm. grief after the baby is born. And it's not that there aren't good things happening and that it's all bad. It's just there is. Yeah. 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 Grief is a big piece of it too. And so for that, if that's more of what the mother is experiencing, then we look to the lungs Hmm. because that's the emotion. Grief and sadness are the emotion tied to the lung system and large intestine. And the lungs and large intestine are all about letting go. It's like that exhale or being able to have a bowel movement, you know, like the letting go. Hmm. And so sometimes when we're having trouble letting go or trouble with the change, then we look to the lungs. So again, it's very individual, but generally speaking, that's kind of how we would approach it. But also, you know, from a more, I mean, it's Eastern and Western, but again, like talking about that blood deficiency is nutrient reserves and nutrient depletion. And when you're in a deficient state and your nutrients, mood becomes a big thing to contend with because if your body doesn't feel like it's being taken care of and it's in a state of security, right? If it feels like we don't have enough nutrients, we're in a state of scarcity, it goes into that fight or flight, which creates anxiety and sometimes depression. So a lot of working with postpartum mothers is really, I'm sure as you do in your work too, it's about getting them nourishing meals to help replenish the blood and chi that they've lost so that they don't have that flightiness to them Mm -hmm. or that low energy to them Mm -hmm. yeah for sure you are in such a time of transition right now and Mm -hmm. i feel like this is so special that i get to talk to you right where you're on you know the cliff of of this new change this this new season how do you feel going into this experience of pregnancy with birth on the horizon yeah i mean there's so much i mean i'm i'm really excited i think i'm excited to be pregnant i'm excited to give birth i've been trying not to consume too much information but I yeah how did you land on who you chose as as a provider i knew i wanted a midwife i was born in a hospital and my mom she had an unmedicated birth she said it was like the most beautiful spiritual experience um, yeah she she had a really profound experience giving birth to me but then i i had to be rushed to the nicu and i was choking on some amniotic fluid but they didn't know that what was going on and i stopped breathing and so it was like a, a very traumatic day or so and so that story has always been with me when thinking about how i want to give birth and where i want to give birth you know, so I always had in the back of my mind, like, oh, if I'm not in a hospital and God forbid something happens. But going into, you know, thinking about trying to get pregnant, you know, I was like, where am I going to feel the best? Mm-hmm. And it was clear to me that that was at home, which is not the case for everybody. But for me, it was and is. Mm-hmm. So 
I knew I wanted to go the midwife route and you had given me some amazing suggestions and I just kind of went down the rabbit hole of finding different providers and interviewing different providers and to be honest they were all amazing and they're all so different and they're all so different yeah which is really cool but my husband and I we were like there's they're they're really good but I don't it doesn't feel like we found the one mm-hmm, yet mm-hmm. and so I kept reaching out to people and Alex my midwife within the first two seconds of our conversation my husband and I looked at each other and we were like oh yeah she's the one mm. so it was just kind of like a soul knowing I think um, intuitive yeah yeah and so she's been amazing to work with and she's really made me excited about this process and also, I've just been, you know, doing some reading about home births and listening to some podcasts about home births. And I know that everybody has such a different experience, but I'm just really excited to see what my experience will be. Yeah, so I'm really excited about being pregnant. I'm really excited about giving birth, even though I know it's going to be <laughs> intense. <laughs> the interesting thing that I think has come up in the past month or so is like, this almost a mama bear energy that's taken Mm. over that I was not expecting to happen quite so soon of Mm. just feeling really protective over this little guy that's growing inside of me and imagining you know the first few months of his life and how I want them to be and again trying not to go to the control place but to the more I guess preparation place of making sure that I can be fully present, making sure that my husband can be fully present. We have a puppy who's demanding and loves to be the center of attention. So I'm a little nervous about how we're going to manage. Oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> I know, Dogs always are, they're so good. Really? Yeah, they really are. Okay. I should get more of my clients on here, all the ones that have, we're so worried about oh, their yeah, animal. Oh yeah, please do. I need stories. <laughs> Because they end up being like protectors, you yeah, know, yeah. Of the baby. But yeah, and it's an adjustment definitely for the animal. Yeah. yeah, she's in for a rude awakening. But I bet you she already knows you're pregnant. She could, They usually can smell. I know, I've been wondering if she knows or if she's just a complete psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> How old is she? She's just over a year. Oh, yeah. cute. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. it seems like you're already on such a good trajectory of having such a profound amazing experience of birth because you are following what your body is telling you you need and what is going to ultimately make you feel the most safe and entrusting a midwife that again is going to help you feel safe that's huge because a lot of people they follow you know what the status quo is and I don't think people always recognize what their choices are. And it's so great to hear that you have really taken pause and and figured out what you need to get you through this experience and to make you feel more confident going into it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like that was a big lesson I learned with everything with my partner is like what feels right for you because there were so many options of treatments and this and that and experimental things and you know so many choices to make and ultimately the choices that he made and we made from a place of like this feels right I have zero regrets about you Mm. know so 
that has been helpful in this journey too of what you were explaining yeah well thank you so much lena for sharing and i know that this conversation is really going to be informative for so many people just understanding the basics of acupuncture and chinese medicine where can people find you yeah i'm pretty active on my instagram which is at resonant.healing and my website is resonant-healing.com so those are probably the two best places to find me great and i'm sure you're going to go on maternity leave but are you accepting new patients at this time right now i'm not taking on new people oh she's busy But you have amazing... But I have I have two acupuncturists, amazing acupuncturists who work mm-hmm. with me and they are accepting new patients and they're wonderful and we work super closely together. So it's definitely like a resonant healing family. And I always say, if, you're, if you want to get in to see me, but I'm booked, please see one of them because they're equally as amazing. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear about your birth experience and... Maybe we'll get you back on to yes. share your experience. Oh, that, that would be, would be amazing. so fun. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and family and stay tuned for the next episode.